Welcome again back to the Locker Room Podcast. We had an overwhelming response from our first episode. You can find them all on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, all of them. Just search for Daily Sports Science and you'll find it there. And head over to the website, dailysportscience.com. We've got offers there for the members and loads of content going up every day, including with our WhatsApp group and everything like that. Um, brilliant response, lads, from the first episode. It was really great to see so many people listening in and watching us up on YouTube channel as well. Yeah, it was um, it was a very, very good response uh, we got there, Kieran. Um, and, you know, it was very enjoyable to do as well. So um, I think uh, I think we started it off really well. I'm here again with uh, Ross Bennett from, from QPR Academy and Joe Coulter, junior B player with Mayo Bridge in County Down. <laughs> Uh, so it's good to have them back. Joe, your your retro down jersey has has gone viral on the internet, apparently. Yeah, I've noticed that here. And um, I was just about this morning to put it up on uh, eBay and try to sell it for maybe five hundred quid. But uh, <laughs> but I, but my brother owns it, so he wouldn't be too happy with me. <laughs> so yeah, just anybody who's interested, make sure you subscribe. Head over onto all the platforms. You'll you'll get them there. And. The good thing about this podcast is every week we'll be putting it out. We're not going to have a season or anything like that. We're not going to only look at current topics. This will be every week and sometimes actually the coming week. We've got one coming out on Tuesday morning and an additional SNC Sports Science one coming out on Max Speed and some other stuff on the Friday. And that'll be really geared towards a lot of coaches and SNC coaches. And we have some specific offers for people who are working in professional football there as well. So keep an eye on that. That, that should be good. Okay, men, we'll, we'll move on. I think last week we spoke about how to train people, how to train your team in this COVID-19 period. I think now is a natural uh, uh, progression on to, well, where is sport at the moment and, and what's actually going to happen with sport? I mean, there's a lot of talk at the moment about return to sport return to competition we'll discuss really about well is that possible at all does it matter should we care about sport and when it does return what are we actually going to be looking at is it going to be a vastly different competition structure or is it going to just continue on as normal Ross you've you're working in professional sport with QPR Academy um, can you give us a little bit of an update about just what's going on like not particularly in QPR, but just in general in, in professional football. Yeah, yeah, defo kids. I think um, like in a lot of the clubs, especially from championship or mid-premiership in terms of we're looking at the most financially stable clubs, um, the ones that are least financially stable from kind of bottom half of premiership down, there's been a lot of media attention around staff being furloughed um, and stuff like that. And that's a similar situation to a lot of clubs um, are in. Uh, luckily, myself, I haven't been furloughed, but there's a lot of people in the country that, that have been furloughed. And, you know, the services to players that have been given now is obviously reduced because of that. Um, it, I think it, that's the current situation. We'll talk about whether what we think about that situation amongst the three of us. But, you know, I think football has got a real bad um, press in, in, in this and the clubs are getting kind of hammered in a sense for furloughing staff. But yeah. The main for a lot of these clubs, the main way they're they're making money is through the game days and through you know money coming in um, the gates and tickets and TV rights and stuff like that. So you take that away from a lot of the clubs, then you know the business isn't functioning as much. So I think it's a little bit unfair, apart from the top top clubs, which we'll we'll get onto topical issues, to really scrutinise clubs for doing this. Um, they have to be sustainable, and there's been talk of lower league clubs actually not surviving this, especially academies, um, not surviving this period. So they have to look after themselves and and for the long term future, because I think we're going to be in a long a long term battle with this um, right now. Yeah, I think there's probably like there's a few different levels in this, really, isn't there? Because the top top clubs, the Champions League clubs, the top six, the top ten. They're, they'll get their gate receipts, and that's really important. But they make the most of their money off TV rights, you know, to selling to Sky and selling to Asia and Scandinavia and all around the world. So at the moment, they're somewhat insulated from this, a, little, a bit. Whereas if you start going down to lower Premier League into Championship, it's very much more geared towards gate receipts. And if, if games aren't going on and you're not getting crowds in through the gates, then that's going to be a real problem. I think even the, the next level is, like you mentioned, the League One, the League Two, the non-league, the conference, clubs like that. 
like they were already really struggling to just stay afloat and you you really begin to wonder that will these actually fold will they come back at all and i, I don't know will like will the government is it going to be top of the list to support these lower league football clubs from the government i'm not sure and even you know matt hancock the health, health secretary came out didn't he and and in one of the the daily briefings and he said well footballers should take a cut and they should do the right thing which okay granted is fine and that's probably true but i mean what about the actresses sitting at home uh, actors and actresses? what about the big financial tory party donors I, I didn't hear him saying anything to those about well you should take a cut for the good of the people yeah, for sure. Uh, listen, he, I think he was well out of order in what he said there. And I think he was panicking in a response probably to Piers Morgan, who's putting a little bit of pressure on all the government at the minute uh, for different topics. And whatever he p- pushes seems to be a response in, in, in the briefings anyway. Um, but look, of course, the footballers had to look at themselves, especially the top earners, when there's so many staff and people taking cuts and being furloughed and things like that. But it wasn't right for him to call them out directly. And you're right, football isn't separate to any other multi-million business uh, making business and it should be looked as a whole thing not just digging out footballers Um, but yeah but I think you know clubs like Tottenham um, and Liverpool they come under heavy scrutiny for furlough and all staff and actually it got reversed so that was probably right in that sense because they probably have got the money at the moment to stabilize themselves through this period yeah and you're one of your teams so you've got multiple teams apparently in, in multiple divisions so one of your teams Liverpool, the socialist man team, the team of the, of the people, of the city, they furloughed their, their staff and, and kept their players on the usual wages and got rid of their staff who were earning 20 grand a, a year instead of doing anything with their, their higher up executive who are earning like 20 million a year. Like, can you yeah. still support them as, as a club? <laughs> Probably not, Kieran, but... Um... Yeah, it was a decision that wasn't uh, really thought through from the hierarchy of, of Liverpool Football Club. Uh, and obviously, a lot of the fan base wasn't too happy with it. And they came under a lot of pressure and they had to make that U-turn. And obviously, Liverpool being one of the top clubs in the world, you know, they, they can obviously afford to, to pay uh, their staff. So it was really the wrong decision from Liverpool. But, you know, you, you do see some of Liverpool's players, like, for example, Jordan Henderson, mm. and he's organised money that goes directly towards the NHS. Yeah. So, you know, some, some, of the, some of the clubs have gotten bad press over the last few weeks. But I think, in general, it's difficult for, for uh, English Premier League clubs. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I think uh, Liverpool have made the right decision. Now. Yeah, I think there's a historic lack of trust there from the players of the owners, and that it'll always come back down to that the players will take a cut. But what about the owners of the club, the absolute billionaires who own these Premier League clubs now? And what is there going to be an effect on them? Are they taking a cut as well, the executives? Now, I think the owners are obviously going to take a massive financial hit as well, aren't they? And I think it'll be really interesting when, when Ross, the longer this goes on, like when are Sky Sports and them and BT Sport going to come along and say, well, if there are no games, well, we're not going to pay the next instalment of the TV rights. And I think if we get to that stage, and I don't know, will we, that's when, you know, it it becomes a real problem for clubs then. Yeah, and I think financially, like the period of when it's going to become a real problem is when we get into this traditional off-season period where contracts start running out. And Sky, and, you know, then they're within their right at that time not to pay next season's instalment because at current there's going to be no games so I think when players contracts due to expire staff's contracts due to expire that's when we're going to start seeing clubs I think come under a bit more scrutiny and start making maybe a bit panic decisions around players around staff around cuts made to the club if this goes on further than end of May yeah it really depends on what's in the contract isn't it like it depends if if there is a, a qualification in contract that says if for whatever reason, natural disaster, whatever it is, games don't go ahead, what happens then? Is the money, do, does the money have to be paid out? And even in terms of the players' contracts, like for instance, if you think of, if your contract is up this summer, if you're on a four-year contract or whatever, well, what, what's hap- what happens then? Because mm. like the club aren't going to offer you a new contract extension to sit at home and do your keepy-uppies and 
Cruyff turns and stuff. So it's, well, <laughs> what'll happen? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough, but at the same time, if they're going to finish off this season, clubs aren't going to want to let players go. They're still going to want their assets to finish the season off. So, yeah. like, I think I think it's going to be down to each club. That's the report coming out now, that it's down to each club individually and their discretion around contracts of players and how you extend. Um, but they're going to have to keep the players on their side because when we do return, you're going to want a fully uh, strength team uh, to, to field the rest of the season. So it's going to be very tricky and an interesting one to watch. Yeah, the, the, the PFA haven't really covered themselves in glory in some ways in terms of the leadership of the PFA. I mean, like the, the, the chief executive, he's still on his massive contract, like two million per year. He's been in the position for 20 to 25 years. He's coming out and saying he's not taking a wage cut. Like they haven't been able to get all players to agree right across the board on we're going to take a 10% cut or a 20% cut. It seems to be on a very ad hoc basis where clubs individually are deciding what they're going to do and players, the leadership of the players in that club, in that team, are coming together and they're trashing out agreements with the individual club. That, that seems to be what's going on at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't waste your breath with the PFA. I, th- I think their, their services are, at times, they're too, they're too late, they're delayed, um, they're responsive, and they'll get put under pressure before anything gets made. So I think, actually, the players in each club should probably come to their own agreement. And, and you're employed by the club. I know the PFA there to support you, but you play for that club. Yeah. Uh, you're there to give services to that club. So I think the best way through this time is it's all individual. What situation is the club in? What situation are the individuals in in that club? Because some of these clubs, players, they're not getting paid thousands and thousands of pounds. You know, they're, yeah. they're getting paid very modest wages. They have kids, they have mortgages. So yeah. if, if there was a 20% cut for them, for example, that could be catastrophic for them as it is for most of us. So yeah. I think it's down to each, each club. I think it should go that way. And the players within that club to then kind of come up with the ideal solution to get them through this period. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, they give out about the GPA in Ireland. <laughs> they should come over and listen to the, the, the PFA. But granted, obviously, Ross, like the PFA do great work in terms of, uh, you know, dealing with mental issues of players after they retire and support network. Like every ex-player seems to be able to go on UEFA B, UEFA A, uh, pro license, you know, stuff like that. And, yeah. Probably yeah, they get in that sense, don't they? No, for sure. Listen, the PFA do some great work and really support. I'm just a bit bitter because I didn't extend the schoolboy as a player. I never got PFA <laughs> membership, um, so I, I was never registered. So I'm a bit bitter. But look, they do some great stuff and they offer like ex-players really good benefits around degrees, around um, yeah. further education of coaching, etc. But I think in these times, like organisations like the PFA, that's when you really need to step up and that's when you yeah. need kind of real leadership for, for players to kind of lean on. And it's kind of, at this moment anyway, they've kind of not had that. Yeah. See, the thing is, ultimately, people don't remember and they don't think that they see these players on TV and it looks like they, they love playing football and how lucky they are and everything. Like we know from working in professional football, those players, it's a job to them, isn't it? They, they don't care about any stuff. They, it's a job. It's a contract. They openly speak about money all the time in the dressing room they talk about bonuses they talk about getting a new contract like their modus operandi is getting the team perform well play better get a bigger contract perform even better get a move to a bigger club in the champions league like at the very very top of the game even players like raheem sterling he's looking well can he get a move to real madrid the absolute top of the pyramid of of football and in times like this then that's the way they think that this is a contract. They've signed it. The club have signed it, and they have the club has to honour that contract. Yeah, it's hard because we all sit at home and we all have our employment with our, with our employees and whoever we work for, and we're all worried about not worried, but we're proud, and you know that's yeah. the wage we're on. And yeah, taking a cut to anybody is not not ideal, and, yeah. and we all we all take that to a personal level as well. So you're yeah. right. I, they think of it as a business. They obviously have pride for who they're playing for and every player is individual and play for different reasons, but it is a job. But I think in this situation, I think those that are on, you know, 
excessive amounts of money and the top yeah. earners, as Joe said about Jordan Henson coming out and donating mm. back, I think it's time then for them to reflect a little bit on that and say, well, you know, the country's in crisis, the world's in crisis. How can I help and still be kind of financially stable um, in yeah. their lifestyle? Yeah, it's interesting. Before we move on, the last point about Arsenal have actually just come out. Well, sorry, they haven't officially announced, but they've said they're likely to announce in the coming days that their players have agreed a 12% cut. So they're not talking about a deferral of wages like Southampton and some others have done. And they've got positive press about that. But the Arsenal players have agreed to a 12% cut if they don't make the Champions League. And if they make the Champions League, if the season goes ahead again, then they get that money back. So it's kind of like a performance-related cut. And there's a lot of talk about Arsenal are kind of using this moment and this event to kind of make cuts that they've been looking to make over the last few years. And, and also maybe put a bit of pressure on the team to start performing. I think that's <laughs> the big one. Um, and look, every club's going to have their own way of doing it, Piers, and I don't think there's any, any right and wrong. Obviously, there's moral, moral obligations to, to, if you're on big money, to obviously give some back or maybe defer and stuff. But I think we have to treat it like any other business. And it's up to the, the company, that specific club, um, to, to see what they can do that's right for the players um, and also right for what's going on now. Yeah, definitely. So, Joe, we had the GA uh, Special Congress yesterday. So, remotely. <laughs> so, when they, when they made their votes, because a few years ago, they, they voted to not show what they're voting, yes or no, uh, on each motion. Now they're actually doing it um, remotely, so they can do as they please, which normally they do anyway. Um, if you've ever been at Congress, it's a very, very interesting event. I spoke for, um, as part of the GPA, kind of little seminar there a couple of years ago, and I saw firsthand how it actually works and all these, you know, pro uh, provincial delegates and county delegates come, come together. It's a real politicians kind of mix where, you know, you're lending votes here and here over and back. And if you vote for my motion, I'll vote for your motion. Um, the only good thing about it was that our esteemed friend, the, the London GA chairman, I ended up, who, who's my best friend, obviously, we know that, I ended up having a big feed of pints of Guinness with him and, and uh, he bought all night. So, you know, I, I, I can't complain about that man in that, in that case then. Yeah, Kieran, uh, I heard about that night um, with him. <laughs> I think he stayed up until about four o'clock. <laughs> and 12 pints of Guinness with him. Oh, Very good. God. And then, uh, he, and then he sacked me. It didn't help your situation anyway with London. <laughs> that, that might have been the vote of confidence, they two kids. That's the dreaded vote, confidence in GA in mm. Ireland. They, they, they feed you 10 points of Guinness and then they sack you. <laughs> yeah, but just, um, just on, the, on, the, on the Congress, um, obviously I think one of the things that, that came out of that virtual Congress was that uh, there, there's nothing happening before July. They don't envisage anything happening before July. I know that they have said uh, previously that they, they wanted to prioritise finishing off the league. Yeah. And I know that there, there are only two games left in the league. Mm -hmm. And of course, the league then determines, the league this year, I think, will determine the, uh, the championship yeah. next year as to what tier you're going to be in. Yes. So if you finish in Division 1 or 2, then you're going to be going for Sam Maguire. If you finish in 3 and 4, then it's that tier 2 competition. So I think it's very important that they try to, to finish the league, those two games. I know it's, it's two games. Can they do it? You know, yeah. uh, if you were talking about the championship, that's a different kettle of fish altogether. Um, I, don't think, I don't think it's going to happen because they have to prioritise the league. But, you but know, it's still up in the air as well, Kieran. But people who will hear that, Joe, they'll say, well, well who gives a damn about the league? Like, why are we bothering trying to crowbar in these two games down in Ockram and, you know, Dungarvan and whatever? What is the point? Is that what we're returning back to the GA for? We're finally getting back to games and then they're putting on the bloody National League. And people say, what's the point in that? Yeah, the, the, yeah I, I can understand why people might say that, but there are probably two, you know, there are probably two reasons. The first reason is it will determine what championship you'll be in next year, what tier you'll be in next year, which is very important. And maybe when this whole thing is over, 
there's a possibility of the championship starting next year, next uh, next May. So um, so that's one of the reasons. Uh, also, I think with some with some of the divisions, it may only be one game because then the other games may be obsolete. You may not have to play the other games because the relegations may have been decided and the promotions may have been decided already. So um, is there the capacity there to play one game or to play two games to finish off the league? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's highly unlikely at the minute with, with the social distancing, with some of the things that the UK government have been saying, what the Irish government have been saying. Obviously, they've extended the, de- the, um, the lockdown. So, yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult to see any type of football being played this season. Yeah. I think the interesting thing, in a normal season where the placings don't determine the championship next year, the competition next year, I think they'd probably say, listen, who cares? It, it doesn't really matter. But because they brought that rule in, it, with the B, well, we shouldn't call it the B Championship, should we? <laughs> we should call the Tulshin Cup, the Tulshin Cup, the Tulshin Games, the Tulshin Cup, um, which I'm a big supporter of, Joe, you know that. But because of that, then there is an importance of actually getting it finished. And if you look at right across the, the spectrum of all sports, and especially football, from what they're saying, they really want they're they really want to keep the integrity of the competitions and they want to finish out the competitions. And Ross, like if you, if you look at the, the football, in the football sense, like the one thing that's come out of all the Premier League meetings, apparently we're being told, is that they want to finish off the season and they want to keep the integrity of the competition. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's really important. I, you know, we, we discussed this amongst the clubs and, and we get feedback from the Premier League and the EFL meetings and the consensus is that everyone wants to finish off. I mean, if you think at the top end, I know across the league, so you're talking about uh, relegations and promotions, but even a team like Joe's beloved Liverpool, you know, um, <laughs> like they've had a fantastic season and unfortunately this has come at a real bad time mm. for them. And I know sport if we put this into context now, like sport is nothing really in terms of what is going on in the world and the health and, and the fatalities that we're seeing day to day. But in, in, the, con- in the context of football, like, they, were fl- they were due to have the best season they've ever had. Like mm. it's, and, and potentially now, even if they go back and play it, it's not going to have the same feel as a regular no. season. But, no. but, but it is important we finish this season. And yeah. what's coming out now is that I think managers are trying to get together and trying to say, look, we need to push this back to give enough time to start the league in an appropriate time frame. So at the moment, they're trying to push for August time frame, which again is a little bit, still a little bit up in the air, but at least it yeah. gives a few months to, to kind of see what's going on. Um, the, the, the Premier League and the EFL have come out and said that mid no um, teams can go back training until mid-May. So that's, right. the, that's the current standpoint. Now, that's only to allow the honour the players five weeks of an off-season period um, with, with no... Because at the moment, they've been going two weeks, two weeks, but it's to give them a clear five-week period where they know they're not going to be back training. So that's just from a contractual point um, standpoint. So that's probably a little bit of work from the PFA as well, um, kind of uh, liaising with those organisations and the EFL. And Ross, we're, we're, we're probably at that stage at the moment where they're all following the government line of, well, this is the official standpoint and that the lockdown has been extended for another three weeks. So we work off that timeline and we work off contractual issues of that. They must have five weeks of off season, which is really, actually, I didn't know that, which is really interesting. So they must give five weeks minimum a break and off season, but we're probably at that stage, aren't we at the moment where they're not coming out with wild, plans of saying well this is going to happen and we're going to have it in definitely in August and here's the the structure of it we're really at the stage where it's going okay well this is what we know and this is what we're going with at this moment yeah which which can be looked at two different ways I mean we followed the government a lot of companies and a lot of big establishments have followed the government guidelines since they dot on this and me and you've kind of we've openly spoke out in different contexts and said that actually that's quite wrong I don't think the government yeah. set clear guidelines or or were definitely late to the party in certain things over here yeah. in the UK um, but in this context I think like that's probably the right thing to do. Give them till mid-May and, and then we can reassess because I don't think you can program for August now. I think if yeah. you program for August now, that could get blown up as well and, yeah. and just not go ahead. So I think 
you know, you know, doctors have come out, medics have come out, and and you know, said forget about sport yeah. for the moment. So yeah. not even September, October, where you're looking safe. Forget about sport, and yeah. unless there's some way of getting ahead, that's not going to put lives at risk. Yeah, I think the the thing is is that they don't want to put a date in the diary because they're afraid that they'll get to that date and they'll just go, well, obviously it's not going ahead. So they, they don't want to look foolish. And I think the GA are following that lead as well, where they don't want to say, well, the championship is definitely going ahead at this point because, you know, it, they, they'll end up with like mud on their faces because it, it may not and it probably won't come back at, at, at that period. Joe, we, we, we as, a, as a club, we were probably a little bit quicker reacting to the crisis than the governmental guidelines and advice. And I think at that stage, three weeks ago, the government were still saying, go to the big matches, go to the Liverpool Champions League against Atletico Madrid. It's not a problem. Go to school. And we as an academy then said, well, hold on. I think we need to protect our players, protect our staff and actually close down the setup. And I think a lot of businesses actually did that, didn't they? Like large multinational companies were said, well, we're actually not going to follow the, the UK government guidelines on this. We're going to react a lot quicker. But the problem is, is we've got a, a right-wing Tory government in, in, in place in, in the House of Commons, Joe. If we had a, a socialist, communist party like you were a supporter of, none of this would have happened. Yeah, <laughs> I, think that, um, I think that the UK government have been very, we're, we're very slow in closing the whole thing down. As you say, Kieran. Uh, businesses, you know, their, their priority is to look after their employees and make sure their employees are safe. And if your employees aren't safe, then businesses can be open to, to lots of things. So, uh, so, yeah, I think that the Conservative government, without getting too political, yeah. I think they were very too slow, too slow yeah. to, uh, to close it down. And now they're getting a lot of criticism from the media yeah. uh, because they were too slow. So because of that criticism, and, you know, Piers Morgan is one who criticises heavily. Yeah. If you follow him on, on Twitter, so I think that um, I think that they'll be reluctant. The UK government will be very reluctant to open it up again mm. as quick. So uh, so I can't really see any activity mm. happening, even this year. You could say even in two thousand and twenty. Joe, the only thing to add to that is that like, I think they're going to be reluctant, but I think they're really and they've already come out and said how concerned they are about the economy. You know, um, and I think sport is a massive part of that economy so i I think you're right they're going to have to take really measured approaches but they're going to be desperate aren't they to get some of this back on for the economy and businesses working again at some point you see yeah yeah on the other side of the coin of that too ross is is the unintended uh, consequences of closing down an economy because you have other things that prop up You've got things like domestic violence that, that prop at, at home. Uh, you've got other types of illnesses. We've seen people not going into hospitals who have got heart problems, who are taking strokes, and they're dying at home. So there, there are other knock-on effects of closing down the whole economy. So I think that you know, the UK government have to get the balance right here. And I think that in some ways, sport can't, cannot really put too much pressure on the government or lobby the government too much and say, listen, we need to get back as quick as we can because there are other considerations that need to be taken into consideration. But lads, as we know, the Conservative Party and the the Tory Party, they care about the money, the economy. They're the party of business, as they always say. As regards the coronavirus and the NHS and the 10 years of cuts to the staffing and the nurses and not allowing uh, immigrants in to help our health system, don't worry about that because every Thursday night we go out at eight o'clock and we clap hands and we bang, bang on a drum and bang on a saucepan and that will solve all those issues. There won't be any more problems with that. I mean, there's there's obviously some hypocrisy in this whole in this whole crisis, isn't there? Not really politically, but we are where we are, and I think you know it. It's definitely it's going to be hard to see how they're going to do it. But I think yeah. they're desperately going to want to get things like professional sport back on at some point yeah. for the economy and for maybe other mental well-being stuff as well, Joe. I mean, here's one thing to talk about, the difference between obviously the, the football and the GA. Officially, the GA is amateur. Uh, yeah. Well, it is amateur. Um, yeah. Aside from there is obviously money involved in TV yeah. and TV and at top level, there is some money yeah. there, you know. Uh, we, 
won't talk about it too much, but there is. Um, I can Joe, Joe Coulter taking the money <laughs> from the London chairman, robbing his back pocket practically, his own personal money, and Joe Coulter getting paid thousands. That's, that's the problem with the J, Ross. That's, what, that's the issue. Well, I mean, but I mean, if you look at the official lines, it's amateur, so it should, yeah, the yeah. money size shouldn't be too much of an issue issue there, even though it is going to affect you know the, the thousands of crowds you get. But you know, in sport, there are careers, there's staff that need to be you know paid, they're employed, there's players obviously that are employed. So, if this goes on and sport does get abolished for a, a real long period of time, what implications does that have on on the people working in that industry? As much others of the country, but it's definitely something to consider. Yeah, it's a really good point. Men, we'll take a quick break. Um, go and get your, your cup of coffee and, and a, a drink of water. Get your sandwich in. Remember, people who are listening, thanks very much for listening at all stages. Remember, go over and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all the other platforms up on all platforms now. And make sure you head over to the website, dailysportscience.com. We've got a 20% offer there to join up and... Uh, let's get you involved in the conversation. Welcome back to the Locker Room podcast from dailysportscience.com. Men, I have to mention anybody who's watching on YouTube and make sure to go over and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Daily Sports Science. Um, what do you reckon of the logo behind my back here on the monitor? Do you, you, you happy with it? Yeah, it's very good, Kieran. Um, I think Ross. I think Ross uh, was the main instigator and in helped to choose that one. So, uh, fair play to Ross. Well done, Ross. Yeah, I, I, yeah, no, it was a democracy as we are over here, kids. You put up a few, <laughs> didn't you? And we had to choose one of them. So you know yeah. that one was the better one. Well done. Yeah, Ross. yeah, yeah. Joe had a few dodgy images in his in his in his phone book and everything, so we definitely didn't go on any of them. I, ha- I have to give a shout out. So John Regan does our graphic design. Um, Ian with Big Top Multimedia over in Dublin and James, James Weiser as our web developer. And if anybody likes the look of the website, it's in large part thanks to those three guys and, and they've done great work um, with the website and making it look nice and everything like that. Ross, you know I, I like things looking visually nice and engaging. Yeah, we're the polar opposites in that sense. I just <laughs> want to get things done and you, you, you procrastinate and make sure it's perfect so the uh, partnership works quite well. Listen, you should talk to my wife, okay? She <laughs> knows all about that. <laughs> I bet you drive her mad. Oh, God. She's, she's a lawyer, so like, she's the opposite of me as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, um, we're talking about what now for sport and we're looking at predominantly football and, and the GA in, in Ireland. So football in the UK and GA in Ireland. Obviously, it's, it's replicated right throughout the world in terms of American football and basketball and Aussie rules and everything like that. The Olympics is a really interesting one that we might have a chat about at some stage again um, and what they're going to do. Uh, but just in terms of football, Ross, we know the Conservative Party love money. We know that football is money, um, so it, 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 it makes logical sense that they're going to do all they can to get football back on our screens, you know, for the fans, and also to keep the economy running and, and pumping money in and out of the economy, and it, it makes sense that the football season starts back up in the summer, surely. From that perspective, it makes complete sense, and I think... You know, it'd be lovely to hear what's really going on behind behind closed doors and, and you know, the, the democratic um, personnel and what they're talking about, because I think they're going to be desperate at some point to get this going ahead. Um, I can't see it happening, Kiers. I definitely can't see it happening from a perspective of fans going to watch the game. Mm. I, I think that that would be really setting yourself up to fail. If you look at, you know, the farcical um, game of Liverpool and Atletico Madrid, when there was actually people who contracted this disease who was involved with those clubs. Um, yeah. and, a, and a report from Italy as well, I think um, Atalanta played a game again in February. Valencia. And what they're saying now is... Yeah. Valencia, yeah, and 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 they say now that that was like a massive drive for this spread of disease. So I think yeah. you have to look at what's happened already around the world and and really respect that from a medical perspective. Yeah, so that's interesting because like we hear Bergamo constantly on on the TV, or we have over the last weeks. Now London is nearly taken over from that, and New York and 
etc. in America. But listen, that's a whole different podcast, Joe, as regards Trump. Um, but I mean, I've only heard of Bergamo as uh, an airport that that caters for Milan, and I didn't know Atalanta actually are from Bergamo. But as you say, that that was like a super spreader of the disease right throughout northern Italy and especially Bergamo and then the Valencia fans going back to Spain I don't know how much it was spread like that um, you know can, can they actually allow something like that to happen seems unlikely I mean the, yeah yeah no no I don't think they morally can I think that because of what's happened and and the scrutiny that the government have come under I mean like Italy were under scrutiny as well for the way they acted but they acted a way lot faster than the UK did yeah. so yeah. like it and we're, we're, we're on course to go past them in terms of like fatalities and stuff which is very sad to hear um so I don't I don't think they can put mass people in risk like that the, the option they have is playing these games at somewhere <laughs> location behind closed doors at some point I think that's what they'll be exploring first yeah well let, let me tell you something that that sparked my worry probably about three years ago was I was watching and listening to stories on the ground in Italy from the doctors and the nurses and they were saying this is a war zone this is this is not the flu this is not seasonal flu this is deadly and our message to the UK and the rest of Europe is lockdown now and that was probably about 10 days before the UK actually did lockdown you know, and, and their, their response was like, lockdown now. This is the time to do it. This is the point that you will save lives. But subsequent to that, a few days later, China sent a whole lot of expert doctors and consultants and nurses over to Italy, northern Italy, to help. You know what their response was? They couldn't believe how lax the lockdown was in Italy. The Chinese were saying, oh, my, like you need to properly shore up stuff here. This is too lax. This is too relaxed and the virus will spread and that that made me think that wow this is this is something different and and since that event if you look at the, the pictures coming out of the italian hospitals that now it's like a war zone in that people are completely covered there are certain wards completely off limits there's a live section and a you know an open section let's call it but even in the uk like we're we're not at that stage even now or definitely not in america so it's, it, it's, it's interesting to see how it will actually progress over the coming weeks and months. Yeah, absolutely, Kieran. And um, I think that for Western countries, alarm bells should have been ringing when South Korea and Japan completely shut down because yeah. they obviously knew what was happening in China. And when they shut down, and they shut down really early, and you can see that the figures are borne out in South Korea and Japan, very low death figures yeah. uh, compared with the UK and those Western European countries. Yeah. So I think when that happened, the UK government should have shut it down straight away. Yeah. But now, now it's uh, but now we're in it for the long haul. Yeah, the interesting thing, you know, about about Korea and Japan is that they, aside from locking down aspects of the economy and the country, that they they identified, tested, identified, tracked, traced, and that's how they've managed to keep the virus under control. And in in the UK, certainly. Like that's just simply not happening. The testing is very reactive. Like the, the testing is not going on to the same level. But let me tell you anyway, lads, what the, the ideas and the plans that are, are being spoken about in terms of the Premier League, Ross, that, that we're hearing is that one major idea that the, the clubs at, at the very top level are pushing out is a kind of a festival of, fo festival of football in the summer months. So... July or August, and this leads on from the testing, that they think by July or August there'll be far more testing available. Uh, the, the virus will have dampened down a little bit. What they're going to do is get all, all clubs, all Premier League clubs, based in and around a part of London and a part of the, 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 the Midlands. So two kind of hubs. Each club then will be locked away in a hotel, quarantined in a hotel. They'll obviously need at least 14 days quarantine. You know, never mind anyway, they'll have to do their pre-season, so it'll be longer than that. And then games will be played behind closed doors. Um, and everybody will be quarantined, including the medics, the sports science, the coaches, the catering staff in the hotel, the cleaners, the hotel owners, 
and they just get ferried from hotel to game, back to hotel, and they're talking about a real, like a World Cup festival of football where there's a match every day of the week. Um, and like, it sounds amazing, you know, because it's like a match every day on Sky Sports and the, the people of the UK and around the world will be, oh my, this is absolutely incredible watching these games. And that's the idea that's been floated at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's like dreamland, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> f- for us at home in lockdown, happy days. But listen, you have to think of realities. I think that's absolutely madness to even be suggesting that because you've got, okay, so you have to be tested and you have to be tested essentially then every time. If you think about it in theory and science, every time that team leaves the hotel, gets on the bus, effectively then they should have to get tested because they're going into a stadium. So if someone's then found positive, like you can't let them go into the stadium. Well, in fact, then you probably then have to shut that team down and yeah. then in effect, then shut down the whole tournament. Um, that's if one instance of, of COVID then is found within any one of those staff and players working those teams. And then you've got, you know, external, it's not like you can cut yourself off in a bubble because the food has to be transported there. You've got people <clears throat> delivering food from outside of this kind of bubble land. You can't just all grow it within, within the areas. So, you know, something could have been caught on one of the lettuces, for example, and brought in. Um, I, I just think it's madness. And then what about other leagues? So that's the Premier League that you're going to try. What about the championship? Are they going to be remoted off to somewhere in Cornwall and, and do it, you know, down in there? And we're going to have these hubs all over the country. I think, I think it's absolutely madness to suggest that. Here. No, we, really... we'll, we'll be sent to Milton Keynes, uh, Ross, or somewhere like that. <laughs> Well, I think, I think if, if we're th- t- talking about academy, I think forget academy football. You know, now they're talking about senior level trying to honour the leagues and stuff. I think academy football, just forget about it until, until whenever you get instructed to do so and it's safe. But I think this idea is, yeah, madness. But it, yeah, to, uh, just, on, just on that point, uh, Ross, uh, uh, you're not going to have any fans at the game. There's not going to be any crowds at the game. And one of the things that makes a festival... Or, or the fans, and you're not going to have that. So the atmosphere of some of these games, and if we're going to watch a game on TV with nobody in the stadium, and you can hear them kicking the ball, and you can hear the players talking to each other, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to look well. The only thing, though, lads, is you would say, like, for instance, we're all quarantined. We're all self-isolating at the moment. Like, Joe, probably more than anybody. Uh, his life hasn't really changed anyway in this, his, in this uh, lockdown. <laughs> he can't even go on his Tinder dates, virtual Tinder dates these days. But if you think about it, like we go to the shop, don't we? We go to the shop, you know, once a week, once every two weeks. People come to the door, they deliver stuff. Like it, you, it's impossible to completely 100% self-isolate. We, we do it to the, the, as strong as we can. And remember... The bin man is working, the shop assistant is working, the doctors and nurses and the hospitals and the bus drivers, like there are precautions, but they are working. Yeah, but if you think is, if the advice and the scientific advice would be that if you come into contact with anyone with this, with COVID-19, that you then have to self-isolate for even more strict measures than that for 14 days. If someone in the team is and 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 you know if we know that the bin man's got COVID and he's touched our bin and we take extra precautions to clean it or whatever, but we we don't know exactly who's carried it. But if someone in the team knows that someone else has got it and they've played another team and the hotel staff have been serving this team for for X amount of days, like everyone then has to shut down and isolate even further, stricter measures. So the league then just gets abolished. The, 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 a follow-up point be would be though is that like money talks. And the Premier League has a lot of money and, and football in general generates a lot of money and the fans will want it and people are sitting at home. And I, I, I know what you're saying, Joe, about you need the fans and the enjoyment. But I, I see people on Twitter saying they would, like, they would watch paint dry at the moment in, if it was a sport. Like they would watch. I have two friends, Derek and Darren O'Reilly, who have taken up watching the Belarusian football league at the moment because they're the only league that are still going and they're like following teams and they're saying oh well you know Minsk are pretty poor away from home it's unexpected to lose that game and you know and they're getting great fun from it so will the reality some realities of economics money and fans interest and fans mental well-being will that 
supersede any other of the issues, safety like that you're saying, Ross. And in some ways, they'll be treated like essential workers and that we have to get this on our TV screens. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility here is that something's going to return because of the reasons you said. I think, though, if, if that's going to happen, but I could see, even if it's a few weeks later, like games as low down as League One, League Two going ahead and it, they're essential workers behind closed doors, but they're still going to games and playing as opposed to going to like a central hub, maybe. That, that could be something that happens at some point. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Joe, just to make it even more complicated, so then if we switch over to the GA setup in Ireland, GA for anybody who doesn't know, obviously completely amateur sport, apart from your big weight, uh, paycheck from the London County Board, but these lads have normal jobs, they're at home with their families. I mean, not that different, Ross, in some ways than the footballers. Like Some of the footballers won't want to leave home. They, they, they may be living with their elderly mother or grandparent or vulnerable child and they'll be thinking well I don't want to quarantine myself away for the next month and the physio is probably thinking well I'm actually I want to help people in the NHS I don't want to add to their problem of the NHS and that's probably a point as well also Ross isn't it? Yeah yeah definitely and there's so many factors to consider into this and you know it, it would have to get a massive agreeance from from everybody and but then if if they are considered as key workers that's a big responsibility for them to take on and like you say so, some of them okay Premier League are slightly different but if we go down the leagues and filter down the leagues you've got players that you know aren't on great money maybe supplement with other other stuff going on and have other work and and are involved in other businesses to help family and support loved ones so because you know we're talking about the amateur stuff and and referencing that to like the the, the part-time footballers and the, even as low as the conference at the three days a week the two days a week so uh, this is going to be a huge decision to be made on on what happens at top level and how and if you are honoring the leagues that has to stand for all leagues not just yeah. the premier league yeah so joe the ga in some ways is similar like the the football non-league teams because people they, they train part-time, they play part-time, but they also have their jobs. And, and like the thought of, or the thinking of any kind of quarantine for GA players is, is complete nonsense, isn't it? Surely, like it, it cannot happen. Absolutely, because the GA players are the community and they're in the community. Um, so no, I, I cannot, can't really see it, see it happening. Um, who, who really wants to be the person that goes out and plays a game of football and then goes and visits their auntie or their grandmother and possibly a couple of weeks later, your, your grandmother or your auntie's in hospital yeah. and it may have been because of you. Yeah. So who wants to have that burden over their heads? You know? So it's not really something practical that I think that we can consider until, until some kind of vaccine is found, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so social distancing is completely impossible um, when, you, when it comes to sports. So I can't really see anything, anything happening. Yeah. The, I mean, the, th the thing is, is if you think of sport, like even players tackling, coming in contact with each other, even in football, like Ross, some people will say there's no physical contact in football. We know otherwise that like those guys are tough, tough, tough athletes aren't they but like it is impossible to social distance in, in a game of football or ga hurling isn't it like it's just not possible to play or train like that no no you can't you, you can't have social distancing measures if we're going to go back to sport it's just it's just um there's no point but i think that if if we do go back to sport then those workers they won't be able to go and see loved ones that are vulnerable they what you know if it does get back to that they will not like joe said you you can't have that burden of of affecting the vulnerable and, and causing more fatality so there'll have to be strict measures to what these people can do obviously they're going to be within their own household but they're going to have to limit contact with the vulnerable and stuff like that. Yeah. Joe, what, what do you think of, like, there's journalists now, and probably it's just giving them something to do, really. You see it up on Twitter where they're, they're speculating about, well, it could return in July. It could be August, could be September. It should be a straight knockout. The provincial championships must go ahead. Other people are saying there has to be, like, a qualifier system that you need at least two chances. Like, the first question is, 
is there any point in talking about that stuff at all? Like, is it an absolute just waste of time? But secondly, if we do, let's just say we do return. We, you know, for let's say the virus is completely suppressed over the summer months, testing is widely available. Let's just, you know, believe in a kind of a fairyland that this virus is gone or suppressed in some sense, and there is a championship. Like, what do we do? So, does it matter? And and next. What do we do, or what are the options for us? Yeah, I I think in um, in in Gaelic football, I think there comes a time when maybe you have to kind of just say, well, the season the season has to be written off. Uh, we can't play any more football for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Uh, and you know, when you think about sport, and we we all love our sport, we all love our football, and we all love our Gaelic football, but unfortunately. In society, you, you have to take these measures and you have to make sacrifices. And until there is some kind of, you know, as you say, widespread testing, until we kind of see some kind of vaccine, um, unfortunately, sport is going to have to maybe just be shelved. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's very difficult for people. And as Ross, Ross said, because professional, you know, professional soccer is all about the livelihoods of the players, and probably Gaelic football will take less of a hit because players aren't really reliant on any kind of income. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's difficult for for professional football. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the Tom Ryan actually came out and and he was referred to director general of the GA, a good buddy of mine. I have to say, back to my Temple Oak Sing Street days in in Dublin coaching, uh, he was one of the dads on the sideline along with Tony Hulahan, actually the chief medical officer, Joe. He um, was a dad on the sideline and I asked him to come and get involved and lo and behold, Tom Ryan is running the GA and Tony Hoolan is doing a good job running the country, which is, is great to see at the moment. Um, stressful job. But in terms of, like, can, can it actually, can, I, can any of these competitions go ahead without vaccines, without testing? I mean, does it, does it matter? Like it, it's really hard to know. But on the other hand, if if we somehow do, like, should we run the the the, the club season first for a few weeks and and get players up to scratch and get their fitness levels up and and then run into a county season and run it off as quick as possible? Or or like, what what are the options? What what could you do? Well, hypothetically, if, if, if sport were to come back and if Gaelic football hurling was to come back, then you'd have to maybe say that you, you'd have to get the club scene back mm. up and running uh, first. Mm. I mean, and you would use that as a kind of pre-season. I know that people have talked about it as kind of pre-season for the county, for the county football. Um, but I just cannot see, I cannot see it coming back anytime soon. Yeah. Um, because what it also does, Kieran, is... If you start to relax um, the social distancing measures by having football being played, then it sort of sends out a wider message to the whole community that you know ev ev social distancing doesn't matter anymore. And then once that happens, we, we talk about that transmission rate. If it goes above one, then we see an exponential rise in the amount of people getting it. And then we're back again to a second peak. And it could be even worse than the first peak. Yeah. So that's why these chief medical officers are very, very worried, you know, and they're very prudent. You know, the UK ones at the beginning, you may have seen that they were not prudent because apparently they wanted herd immunity. Um, so, you know, you have to think about a second peak and it even doing more damage to the economy. And then, and then we don't get football again for another year. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I meant, I meant to say, just as regards the point with Tom Ryan, that, he had said in an interview last week that the GA are looking at like a 60 million uh, euro hit from this. So if you think of like the money that comes in at the central level from the inter-county game and that trickles down to all the clubs and the provinces, like the whole game is going to be badly hit, isn't it? You know, it, it really is. And he did an interview actually a month ago, which I listened to last night, a podcast actually, and he was saying that this was, sorry, more than a month ago before any of this hit. And he was saying that the, the, the business model of the GA is not a sustainable one where all the money comes in, 
each season, all the money goes straight back out, back to the county teams, to the counties, provinces, clubs, etc., different stakeholders. And that there's no reserve of money held in the coffers in Croke Park, which is, is a poor business model, isn't it? And he said, God, God forbid something bad happens, you know, a, a, an unexpected event, we have no money in the coffers. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, you know, the coronavirus hit and, and they have no extra kind of funds there backing them up. Um, so it's a yeah, well situation. That, well, that comes down to, you know, poor financial management at the end of the day. If you don't have any reserves for a rainy day, as it were, then you're, you're definitely going to be in trouble. But the GAA, most of the, most of the funding from the GAA obviously comes from the ticket receipts and those, you know, 80,000 people in Crow Park for yeah. the county, obviously it comes from the big county games. So yeah. not having that means that the GAA are in trouble. Yeah. Um, I, th I think like a, f a few things about that in terms of talk of games behind closed doors in terms of GA for TV, I think is nonsense. Like it just, there's no point because it's a very much a community based sport and there's just no point. If we were to, to, to return, I, I quite like the idea actually of the, a little bit of the club season, as you said, as a kind of a pre-season leading into the county. And I've heard people on Twitter and, and out there saying, scrap the county, you know, let's just go back to basics and play the club. That's fine. But the reality of the matter of the GA is that the county game makes the money. That's the, the game that brings the vast majority of the revenue in. Now, it's, it also costs the GA money, huge money, like the, running the county teams and it's gone crazy. But it's actually the, the inter-county games, and if you look at the financial reports, it's the, the All-Ireland final, the All-Ireland semi-finals, a little bit of the All-Ireland quarterfinals. And, and that's it. Like you're talking about three, four games per season is the thing that pays for everything. So any talk of like on, on the return, not, not following through that season with the inter-county game is, is, is just pie in the sky kind of talk. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you say, you know, the, the counties are the main, you know, revenue generator uh, for, for some of the clubs. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, having, having the club scene back, I think, will do a lot, lot of good for, for communities. But as we, as we know, you know, this isn't going to come back to normal for the next, for maybe 18 months, possibly, until yeah. we can get a vaccine. Yeah, Ross, you had an idea about how to, like, how to run, how to finish this season and its implications on next season in, in terms of professional football. Yeah, and I, I think it's, um, I think it's obvious, a little, uh, quite clear to say that there's obviously a massive disparity between what's going to happen in the professional world of football and sport mm. over here to maybe what's going to happen in the GA because it's seen as amateur, Joe. And, and, and that's not to belittle the GA, but I think that there's more, there's more financial implications on, on the professional side in terms of people having to live. And, and, you know, of course, there's financial implications of the GA, but I don't think it's as severe and I don't think they'll take the risk as much um, with it so I think they're going to within the next year like finish the season in football um, within before the vaccine comes I think that's that's quite um, not a prediction but I think that will happen personally I think they will get at some point get that going um, so my idea was look scrap next season because you're looking at for example the end of next year you're meant to have the Euros for example then the following year after that you've got the World Cup in Qatar which yeah. is meant to be December. So we, we haven't got loads of time on our hands. Um, and if we are going to have to have periods of social distancing, relaxing, and then coming back into play for a bit more and then relaxing, if we, if we want more smaller waves as opposed to, you know, a second massive peak, then I just think finish the season, give yourself the whole time of next season to finish off this season. Let's honour however we do it contractually, but let's honour like contracts and like avoid any transfer. So everyone stays in the same teams. We can hopefully retain majority of staff and, and not yeah. um, make people unemployed and give yourself a lot of time over next season to finish off this period, which, which then 
allows for mini breaks of the game within the season, um, if that makes sense, to, to yeah. honour the games. Instead of trying to cram this season in and then going back to next season, which could be a shorter format, and then into the Euros and then into the world, that's just a disaster for everyone, I think, for, for the, the global pandemic, but also just the, the, the reality of trying to fit it all in. Um, well, it, it, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, well, it's really interesting, actually, because if you think of it, within the next, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, within the next 18 months, they need, would need to finish this season, finish next season, play the Euros, and play the World Cup, because the World Cup in Qatar is it's a winter tournament. I think it's January, isn't it? Jan- January, yeah. January. So, so, like, there's so much to cram in there, and all of a sudden you've got a, a backlog, and it's... Yeah, no, no, I think it, I think it, it, it could be a good idea. And, and that also, I mean, if you're cramming that amount of games in, especially within these times where there could be no vaccine, and again, you're, you're opening yourself up medically to, to cause mass spread and stuff. So yeah. I think it, it, could, it could really open themselves up. Yeah, it's an interesting one, lads. If and, and when we return, because obviously you hope at some stage we're going to return with a, with a vaccine or with some other different testing measures and stuff like that. I'm quite interested to see who will actually benefit. I'm being facetious, but who will benefit out of this crisis in terms of professional football and in the GA? Joe, is there any, like there, in every situation, there are winners and losers. And out of this, it'll be the same. In, just in terms of the sporting sense, you know, looking beyond any of the other health crises now, but just in terms of the sporting sense, are there any teams that you think will, this will actually negatively affect or, or maybe even benefit in the GA in terms of the inter-county game? Um, yeah, I, I think um, when you look at it, you might think that the, uh, you know, it's going to be survival of the fittest. And in this context, you might say that the fittest will be the biggest clubs, the clubs with the most resources, the clubs with the most money, the clubs with the best players. Um, so on the, on, from that point of view, you would probably think that in GA, it's going to be Dublin, it's mm. going to be Kerry, it's going to be Tyrone, these big clubs that have lots of resources. Um, however, there is, um, there is another angle to it as well. Uh, those clubs that can adapt to the, to the environment or also, you know, clubs that are very innovative, that have, you know, good people in their clubs, that are running their clubs, that can come up with good ideas. Um, I think there's an opportunity for those clubs, uh, or counties, sorry, to, uh, to compete. Uh, so, you know, on the face of it, you might think the big clubs, mm. but, you know, there is an opportunity for, for those, you know, sort of smaller, smaller clubs to adapt See, I think actually in this situation, I, I, I understand what you mean about Dublin. And you always think that the, the big county and club with all the, the most amount of money will be the one who will benefit from situations. But if you think about it, that Dublin team is still backboned by a number of older players. Now, they stayed on an extra season to try and win a sixth in a row, to win a seventh in a row. Whereas now there's a break in that. Now, I know the next championship winners... If it's Dublin, they can say that, well, that is six in a row, regardless of it being this season or next season. But I see this, this situation, this coronavirus, actually retiring a lot of players because the players will say, do you know what? I don't know do I want to give the commitment. I don't know do I want to put my health in danger, my family's health in danger. Um, I've, I've, for the Dublin lads, I've achieved a lot in the game. I've won my five in a row. I've won my seven All-Irelands. I'm going to pack up now. And they may lose, you know, the, the lights of McCarthy and some of those in Cluxton and big, big, Pekino Sullivan, big name players for Dublin. I, I reckon they could lose them. And I was thinking Galway will be the most disappointed because they were having such a good season under Porrick Joyce. And all of a sudden now there's a break and that momentum is gone. And I think they'll be desperately disappointed. And on the flip side, you know, Kerry always find a way, don't they? No matter what happens down through the years and whatever the Northern teams throw at them and Dublin, they always find a way. And it wouldn't surprise me to see the Kerry boys down in the, down in the countryside of Kerry, you know, a little bit away from the epicentre of the, the, the virus outbreak in Dublin as well, which may have an effect. 
the Kerry boys might be working away on their own and, and, and they might, may find a way in this. Yeah, well, we know they're very cute. They're very cute in Kerry. And uh, obviously, Kerry have a lot of excellent young footballers. David Clifford, Clifford Sean O'Sullivan. Uh, so, you know, you might think that they're at the other spectrum where, where they can uh, actually take advantage of this. But, yeah, I think Cluxton, he's coming up to, what, 40 years of age yeah, very yeah. soon. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you could see players uh, retiring en masse because yeah. of this situation. And uh, you may look to the, to the counties that have the younger players coming through. Uh, but it's also the setup of those counties as well, which counties can adapt uh, to the situation the best and hold yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. Ross, just briefly then, uh, last few minutes, in terms of the football, professional football, any clubs that you think may you know, suffer from this or, or may benefit when we do return? Yeah, I think I, I kind of agree with Joe. I think the bigger clubs are going to have more resources during this time and can offer the players maybe stuff that other lower clubs can't get. You know, the, the, especially within this furlough exercise, there's only a limited amount of staff for some players to actually access during this time. Um, so the lower clubs, I think if they're creative with their staff and the way they're doing things and the way they're doing stuff, then I think they could pull through this. But you'd, like, you'd probably think the top six... I've yeah. got more stuff going on. They're being a bit more creative in, in the way they're giving programs the support, the psychological support, the, yeah. the network they have around them in the club is going to pull them through a little bit more, I would say. Yeah. You think of, for instance, Man Manchester City with Abu Dhabi support, like state-level support with all their petrol money and everything like that. Like, they will still have money, won't they? They've got reserves of money. And, like, an interesting point is... FIFA or UEFA, um, uh, not fair play awards, but the the, the 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 amount of money that you can spend and everything like that may actually be relaxed a little bit after this. I wonder, and and the big clubs like, you know, Abramovich with Chelsea or Manchester City, as I mentioned, or maybe United's owner owners they may splash a little bit. They may take the opportunity to go, do you know what? We're actually going to get ahead of all the other clubs and make a little bit of a splash here. Yeah, they, they could do. I think it's up to them governing bodies to actually, like personally, put an embargo on any transfers, especially until this official season has been ended. I think it'd be unfair after this time for big clubs to go and purchase better players um, when the lower clubs are struggling just to keep afloat. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, lads, um, I'll leave you with one sobering thought. I was reading a report by, by Morgan Stanley, um, massive multinational company, uh, uh, which I'm sure, Joe, you, you read plenty about. That's the kind of thing I do. They were predicting their model really is of work as we know it returning in springtime. So around next March, testing be widely available and businesses starting back up and sporting events and then the countries opening up fully next summer so that's quite an interesting one where they're envisaging society and the economy opening up next spring um, including sporting organizations so it'd be interesting to see by next march or so is that the timeline that we're actually looking at okay with, with that sobering thought men we'll, we'll leave it at, at that we'll speak the next time about a little bit about um the return of training and what to do and, and how to organize that when the seasons do come back. We, we'll, we'll look to do that podcast in the future. For the moment, um, make sure you subscribe, go on to the website, loads of offers at the moment. Ross, Joe, thanks for having you, you on again this week. Cheers, kids. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it again. Thanks, Kieran. Enjoyed it. Cheers. Okay. Thanks, gang. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.